Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today with me, Rodrigo Himiab. Rodrigo is a family business advisor who embraces a collaborative process improvement approach to solving complex business problems. Venezuelan-born, Rodrigo is a third-generation business owner whose expertise encompasses executive leadership, operations, project management, and strategic planning. His academic training as an engineer and experiential knowledge as a family business advisor differentiate him as a service provider and his ability to move people as harmonic units toward a common goal augments his value as a board member. Rodrigo, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of the Generation 6 kind of association. Got to know some of those folks and you all do great work. Would love to hear kind of your journey what got you into kind of working with family businesses and the board service originally? What was your background that led you to that? Yeah, thanks for the question. So I'm a third generation family business owner. Father founded a number of businesses in Venezuela, mainly banded into the Caribbean. And, you know, I know some of the turmoil has in Venezuela has caused some of that. But me, other than working the occasional summer job and, and, you know, experiencing being a family member working in a family business, I decided to go the engineering route. So I studied engineering. I differentiated from my family business in that sense, but always had a passion for family business. I always enjoyed working for family businesses. And that was, I mean, that basically what shaped a lot of, of me was being an owner and having experienced family businesses, kept that passion. And fast forward, I wanted to become more of a sound ownership or carry the legacy of the family business, being an educated owner. So, so that drove me to doing what I do today, which is helping family businesses succeed. Yeah. And the Venezuela 
issue is something we're not going to spend a lot of time on here because it just would take more capacity and, and I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm, you know, um, aware on a very high level that there's obviously a huge amount of issues occurring there. But I would love to hear your perspective as somebody who is a third generation business owner, but obviously had to pivot pretty dramatically, both, I would assume, geographically, as well as from a business perspective. Could you maybe speak to that experience and how it helps inform the work that you do with families today? Yeah, so my perspective, one of the things that really helped me with that was, you know, it was giving an outside perspective into what the family business is and what, you know, a broader horizon has been. In our third generation, there's really one member that is actively in the operations of the business. So that that sort of pulled us in the third generation a little bit aside. So that helped me shape the perspective of you have to have experience outside of the business before you jump into the business. And then there's the perspective of you jump right into the family business. The data are still out. Data don't show that there is one way or the other is better or not. What I have found is that those that jump directly into the family business, I'll compare it to one of my cousins, jump directly into the family business, kind of go there. Well, what if I would have done this? What if I would have had this experience? From my perspective is, how can I do better? How can I get involved? And what if I would have taken this path? So there are two different what ifs. And that I think that also strengthens, you know, when I work with family businesses and I work with further generations is you can carry through the legacy of your family business. You can be a good steward of your, or of your family, a good steward of the enterprise. You don't have to be working in the day to day in order for you to carry through. So that to me is paramount. And I think that brings a perspective from my end that I think is very important. Yeah, I'm sure that's hugely valuable. And you maybe talk a little bit about, do you act as a consultant or are you an independent kind of third party? I know that you've recently taken on some board positions. Maybe inform us a little bit more about kind of what your core competency is. Yeah, so in Generation 6, I'll, I'll start with the broader picture. In Generation 6, where we work as advisors to the family business, to the family enterprise office, and then you know we help support them define their success. Once the family has defined their success and find those commonalities in their successes, help how to carry that through. So through a collaborative process, we help them achieve the success that they have defined. I enjoy the family consulting side, the more of the dealing with the family dynamics, improving communication. A, a big deal for me is uh, communication and improving that and building that cohesion within the family. Part that I've worked a lot with a couple of our colleagues is the family governance side. Probably one of the terms of volume, that's probably one of the larger part that we work with in, in generation six. But yeah, so the family dynamics, the family cohesion, that, that is something that's near and dear to my heart. So this is something we talk about a lot on the show in terms of these family dynamics, how to build culture, what the value system of the family is, how to maintain unity and cohesion moving forward. What is a typical fact pattern 
that is the catalyst to bring a third party independent person professional like yourself in your experience? Typically, something has happened that has triggered, uh, to your point, right? I'm, I don't mean to reiterate what you just said. In other words, something has triggered it where there's a sense of anxiety. Many times it's in point of anxiety that has created that trigger, that has triggered uh, the point of, okay, well, we have to carry on its death in the family, especially in earlier generations where it's more concentrated or a retirement or something has happened to your point that has caused that sort of panic moment. And that's when they we start calling. And in that, when they start calling, one of the things that we do is we need to find out what the root cause now, uh, what the root cause is of this, right? Is this anxiety or why is this panic moment happening now? Why is it something that wasn't foreseen? We do have the occasional client that is preparing for the next generation because they see something happening. They see shifts in the market. That's a little bit more proactive. So when we are engaged as advisors, as we meet with the key family members, the key advisors or the key employees, depending on who it is, and then we go through and find out Again, what those points of cohesion, what that perspective is, what are they united on? And then where are the points of divergence? And then try to build to that because it's not about, hey, it's all falling apart. It's not about creating commotion and, and it, it's trying to focus on what your points of unity are and work toward those because that's ultimately what we're trying to build. We're trying to build some level of understanding and in many cases is the points are being made, the goals are the same, but the path to those goals uh, are different. And if there is a lot of conflict in the family or even some conflict in the family, the communication is such that you're saying the same thing, but you're speaking it in different languages, if you will. And I want to go back and kind of unpack something that you referenced because I'm an attorney by trade and I always think about these things in legal terms, but oftentimes when there's an acute issue within the family, you call the litigator up and you say, hey, we need to sue somebody or there's this conflict that needs to get addressed. And then you bring in the corporate team and the corporate team says, well, we could have prevented this if you had just kind of brought us in six months to a year earlier do you experience that same thing as a consultant where you're brought in on a fire drill and oftentimes these things could have been addressed prophylactically if you had just been given a little bit more time and maneuverability? 100%. I mean, that's further to your point is we sometimes say, hey, not only could you have prevented that, but you would have probably saved yourself quite a bit of money. And quite a bit of headaches and 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 pain and just a lot of the a lot of the a lot of what you've experienced, Brian, and being an attorney, one hundred percent, completely agree. And so, have you seen a, a change in recognition as this leadership development occurs and the shift from maybe first generation or origination entrepreneur founder? Have you seen more families, family offices or family businesses be open to having a 
retainer type consulting relationship where they recognize they need to bring in third-party professionals on an ongoing basis in order to prevent these issues from occurring? Yes. So I, I wouldn't say that in time it has gotten to that point. I would say it comes with, and I have to be really careful in saying what I'm about to say, uh, in having that maturity and not maturity in family, maturity in, in people, but rather maturity of working with advisors, working, receiving that advice and working collaborative to achieve those goals. You typically see a lot of that work and a lot of that understanding with advisors, whatever that, whomever the advisor is, it's working in the later generations in the second and third because, okay, where do we go from here? We need to find that uh, additional help. Not to say that we don't work with first generation. It's typically we see it more in the latter generations where there's a certain need. There's also a certain growth. There's a certain revenue also that allows them to hire advisors and consultants. So I, I do want to get into kind of navigating some of these dynamics between family and non-family members. Mm -hmm. How do you, maybe just starting on like a high level, how do you approach this that general conversation and then we can maybe shift into specifics? So family and non-family, do you mean with family and consultant or do you mean family? And no, I mean, right. So if, you know, a situation where non-family members are agitating for a change or there's a consideration of a non-family member, either a third-party professional executive or just a non-lineal, a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, et cetera, coming in within an executive position or just feels if their voices are not being heard and it's really a breakdown of communication. This is something that's becoming more and more generalized as there's frankly just, you know, a lot of families grow larger generationally and there's more what would be referred to as, you know, mixed families out there between multiple marriages, et cetera. Yeah, um, good, good, good point. So when we are engaged, we typically, unless there's, there are reasons for religious or cultural reasons, we typically advocate that you need to bring the voice of the spouse or the voice of the trusted advisor. Part of the reason is that they have way they have more way into decision making than people think, especially spouses, because they got you might have a person's ear from nine to five, for lack of a better term. But once you once they get home somebody else has their ear and they have a decision and is to paraphrase and I know I'm I'm going to butcher this but to paraphrase one of my colleagues Andrew Kite he says you know we marry the person that we want to be and that wants to speak for us that wants to say what we needing to say or something to that tune so we try to bring those in laws in we try to bring them in so that they're heard and they're feeling heard because ultimately they're going to be the parents of the next generation. And that is huge because if there's any sort of uh, turmoil in there or any sort of conflict, they're going to have their children's ear. And you want to try to mitigate that. You want to be, to your point, you want to be proph prophylactic about it. Trusted advisors, they typically have an outsider's view into things. And you know, if we were working with you, 
and then you tell us, hey, Rodrigo, you know, th- these are some of the areas that, that you need to watch out or these are some of the areas that I've experienced that uh, this family or this client works through. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. I think it's helpful to have that third-party advocate and also kind of a third-party assessment tool where you can come in because Oftentimes, it really is an issue of, of communication, and you know these people have known each other a long time, and they often, in my experience, really struggle to actually listen to one another because they just project onto them the other person. They think they already know how they're going to respond because they do know each other so well. So what are some best practices you bring to the table to help facilitate productive conversation and communication? One of my favorite tools that when you start a meeting, especially if it's, if you know, there's going to be some strong, some big emotions is a psychological contract or a meeting agreements. And basically those are rules for the meeting, rules of engagement for the meeting. Some families have, and this is commonly used. So I'll, I'll use an example. Some families are no interruptions. That's huge for some families. Some families, you'll never see that as one of their priorities for the meetings. No cell phones. One of the ones that I like to advocate for is emotions are big and we're having a moment in time and somebody feels very irate, feels like they need to walk out. That's fine. No judgment. The person can walk out just not and cool off and then come back in once they've cooled off. That's one of the big tools to help the the ground so that you can start developing the conversation. And then I am not one to have, hey, you know, let's face two people together and and have a have an argument right now, right here, because that's not gonna that's not gonna be productive for a larger com- uh, communication pattern. So we try, or I try to build that communication and educating, right, and building building a base a a the groundwork on what everybody should know, especially if you're in a family meeting. You have people that have taken various paths that have different edu- uh, educations. And then what do they understand? You can't expect everybody to be a financial whiz. So you build it to, hey, this is what a PL looks like. What a uh, profit and loss. This is what a balance sheet looks like. And and then starting to that so that everybody has at least a basic understanding of what it is you're going to be discussing. And then from there, you start building that common body of knowledge and you can start addressing some of the commonalities. Is it ever possible 
to achieve complete agreement? And is it even necessary in order for the family to function? So I don't believe in 100% complete agreement. Personally, I mean, it's it would be wonderful to have it. And in some cases, you will. And in extreme cases, I think you will. One of the reasons I don't typically believe that there's always 100% agreement is because if, let's take a vote, for example, and everybody agrees on that vote, there's typically somebody that has been silent that has kept that vote. But And then at the end of the day, if things don't go the way the vote was decided, and that's going to come out. Now, having said all that, I do think that if the family is united, you know, you might have conflict. And I'm, a, a healthy conflict is good. Healthy conflict that within closed doors. Once you walk out of the door, you're a united front. You are a united family. You work as, as a block, and that will help you stand together. That will help your cohesion. That'll help all of that. Now, so that perception of being that having one vote, one voice is there and you should, but you left all the disagreements behind. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure it's ever really fully achievable. And I think there need to be mechanisms to push forward without it. Otherwise there's gridlock and stasis, and that's just not good for anybody within the family enterprise as a whole. Right. Yeah, for sure. When you engage with a family, or maybe from this perspective, if a family business or office is looking to engage with a consultant like yourself, what are the questions they should be asking you? What are the right conversations to have? What are the right questions and process to go through in order to find the best fit for the family? One of them is... Are we a good fit? And, you know, that's not going to come out right immediately, but understanding that we have to fit the family as much as the family needs to fit us, right? It's a two-way street. One of, one of the things that, that I would ask of us is, you know, what are your processes? What level of commitment do I have to do or do I have to commit to? What I mean by that is we're not here to do everything, to put a document together, to put a buy-sell agreement together for you. That has to come from, we can give you guidance. We can give you best practices. We can help you shape it. Ultimately, that's going to have to be agreed upon the family. That's going to have to be written by the family with the family attorneys and so forth. Is the level of collaboration, it's one of the things we measure is level of collaboration within the family and willingness to work. And so we find that families sometimes come to us with more of, hey, let's collaborate, let's do great, and then that's going to be a successful engagement. The families that want everything done for themselves, typically not the fit. So I would encourage families to ask that, their advisors, and obviously there are some advisors out there that will do the work for them. We work in a collaborative nature, so I would encourage them to ask us that. As a business advisor, family advisor, who do you actually work for, in your opinion? That's a great question. So we work for the fa- with the system for the family, family enterprise. So 
It's the ownership. We're working with the ownership. An asterisk next to that because if we're dealing with the uh, governance side of it, sometimes we're working with the board of directors, not necessarily with the entire family, although the family is a key component because we will be interviewing the family. We will be talking with the family because that board needs to follow the culture of the family. That, that family's culture needs to carry through the enterprise. But we're dealing with the family. We're dealing with the enterprise. We're dealing with the uh, ownership. You referenced a few earlier, but what are, from your perspective, red flags that are no-goes for you where you will not engage or you've learned from past experience certain characteristics or, or fact patterns or things that pop up early in the kind of getting to know you process where you think this is not going to be a good fit for you or your firm? legal issues that'll that'll be a red flag that's not a no-go for us if, if there's active legal issues and and the other one would probably be and i'm thinking off the top of my head the other one would probably be the one uh stated earlier if the family is just expecting us to do all the work without any buy-in that also has a uh, underline that if if there is a family member that's pushing everything without any sort of feedback from other family members, then that's typically a red flag. Now, that one's, I would say, more of an orange flag, but that one can be a red flag if, you know, hey, you know, I'm just going to push everything through and nobody else has any buy-in on this. Yeah, I would assume you've learned this the hard way over many years. So when we work with families and I speak with family businesses who have an embedded family office or a standalone family office or it's still a closely held business, there is this generational shift occurring within a leadership position. And many of the rising gen or next gens don't necessarily want to take on a leadership position for a whole host of reasons. Could be they don't want Thanksgiving dinner to be awkward. It could be a compensation issue. It could just be a lack of development within that next generation to take on that role. And so many of them are looking at third-party professionals, non-family members to come in. What's the right way to do that in your opinion? And where will you advocate for it when you come and work with a family? So there are many ways. I don't know really. So in my opinion, most of you start, if you're going to, if that's the process you're going to follow, so, so two ways. One is, is it a process that you're going to follow? Uh, and then I would say start it in the areas where they're easier, not that they're simple. Uh, it's not that they're going to be 100% bulletproof, but start in the easier bookkeeping. Now you're going to have some oversight, right? You're going to need some oversight. So if you're going to start professionalizing like business, that's one area that you could start. You can start outsourcing your HR component. Those are areas that get back to something you said earlier. Always have a benchmark and be ready to use that benchmark. Because if you said compensation, and many times in family businesses, it, it's an issue with compensation. Well, I don't get paid enough to be working with in the family business. Or I want, or there's the golden handcuff, you know, I'm going to make three times what I would be making in the in the market by working in the family business. So, you know, benchmark it and, and pay according to that. If you want to set bonus structures, that's fine, but make sure that you focus on that. When family business, when family members are the right 
person on paper or the right person, but they just don't want to work for the family business, you got to understand why that is. Because, and not because you're going to force them to work in the family business. They don't want to. They may just not be the right person. You know, it's a cultural issue at that point. But you want to find out because there may be something that you're not seeing. There may be a blind spot there. So I would say get the people to have a buy-in. So if you're going to a big deal, a CEO, you're going to bring in a, an external CEO, have some buy-in to the decision that's being made. Um, if you have a, a board of directors, have a board of directors, that CEO, or at least have a uh, recommendation on that CEO. That would be some of the advice that I would use in some instances. So have a, a thoughtful process and, you know, bring in third-party professionals who can help run that process, make recommendations. I think that jives with what we've experienced and seen. What I've found that doesn't really work well are these battlefield promotions where somebody gets ill or it all of a sudden just retires because of a, an acute issue or has to be let go. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, Aunt Susan is now running the show. And it wasn't really socialized beforehand. That's when I think real issues occur because she might not be ready for it and or the family might not feel comfortable with it. And there's all kinds of complications that are knock-on effects from that. Yeah. So if Aunt Susan's the right person, and that was, to your point, that was clear and it was the successor and that's cool. But if it wasn't clear and, you know, and Uncle Billy was the one that was expected to be the next in line and Susan is the one, that's going to create some commotion. That You're absolutely right. So I want to talk about governance. You referenced this as a kind of hot topic front burner issue for a lot of families. You're sort of on a number of family boards. What are the biggest challenges within the governance space today? In my opinion, many of the challenges are communications. Who communicates with whom? That part of it is, and that's that evolves with the maturity of the board and the family. The other challenge, and this is common, is when you first start a, a board of directors or when you start seeing the earlier boards of directors, you see many times they, it's my pal so-and-so is on the board and my friend, my good buddy is on the board. It's a board that's made up of people that you've trusted and that you've been with for a while, but it's not necessarily the board you need for the future of the business. So I would challenge that you assess your board regularly, every two years, every three years, periodically assess it, make sure that your board is still up to par with what you, the future of your business is and where you want your business to go, and that the board still meets the families, and that they're holding that culture, cultural standard, and they're holding it to to what the family wants it to paramount, and that's something that we see regularly. It's the for lack of a better term, the good old boys club, drinking buddies, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I, it's what we refer to as like the country club board versus a, a proper board. And it seems like the trend line is towards institutionalization and professionalization of many of those internal infrastructure boards, et cetera. And so I, I do think it's changing. 
but oftentimes those are very hard conversations to have if they're not facilitated by a professional like yourself. Yeah. It's, it's also compensation, right? And, and many times you try to put some people in because, you know, you can't compensate at the levels that some of the boards are, or you don't, you don't foresee because you're testing the waters, you don't foresee ever needing to pay that amount of money, or you don't foresee needing that level or that caliber person. But that does come in time. And then you start questioning, well, you know, maybe we do need to bring somebody like this in, or we do need to compensate at this level. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's shifting, particularly with the higher revenue businesses that, you know, they, they need more external professional professionals within their board, external board members. And then you start seeing the comments like, where have these folks been all along? And I can't, you know, it's worth every penny. Yeah. You get what you pay for. Rodrigo, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been great. And, you know, kudos to all the work you're doing. Families really need it. I think nowadays, if people are interested in learning more about you and, and, the firm and and the services you all provide, what's the best way for them to find out more? And um, again, thanks for having me. To contact us is, well, my email address is rhimiob at generation6.com. Brian, I hope that's going to be on the show notes because that's not the easiest one to spell. It's a tough one. We'll include the contact information on the show notes for sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Or check us out at generation6.com. That's generation and the number 6.com. And yeah, let's start the conversation. Yeah, Generation 6 is top tier for sure. So definitely encourage people to check out the website and great list of folks and really good content being put out there. And encourage our listeners to leave us a review and a rating. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation. And Rodrigo, a question we ask people that come on the show, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Yeah, I work out. Nearly every day, I do need a rest day. It keeps me, but the most important one is I make coffee for my wife every morning. Really? Yep. And I wake up and have that coffee ready for her. I love it. I love it. I do that from time to time on the weekends, and it's always big point getter, but I don't always do it consistently during the week. So good for you. That's great. Well, Rodrigo, thank you so much again for joining us. And best of luck with all this board work that you have coming. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yep. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait. There's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.